Hey, film fans, I'm Jackie Lynn here with Dave Demarest for our latest episode of Dollar Theater, the show where we watch films with higher reviews and could be worth a watch. For part two of our Bat Week double feature, we watched Batman Returns. Critics liked this one a lot better and gave it a 7 out of 10 on IMDb and an 80% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's double the score on Rotten Tomatoes compared to Batman Forever. Where do we land on this one? We'll let you know what we think shortly. Keep in mind that we have intentionally covered this out of order. Last night, we covered Batman Forever, and we've also previously recorded Batman and Robin. This is just how the cookie crumbled. Make sure to tune in to those episodes, too. Our guest tonight is Danielle Lemoyne. You may remember her from our episode covering Can't Hardly Wait and Batman and Robin. Danielle is a mega Batman fan, and she currently digs some sci-fi, David Fincher, and the new show, From. Her number one movie at the moment is The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Danielle, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be back. Awesome. Great to have you. Okay, Dave, what do you think? Batman Returns. I think this is an excellent movie, and I think it achieves what the previous two Batman movies we've covered tried to do but couldn't do well, was in making a campy movie really well done. I think, in my opinion, Batman 1989 was more gritty, even though it had cartoons. But but I thought this one was a little more campy. But I thought it was a really well-done movie. I enjoy Michelle Pfeiffer a lot in this movie. Danny DeVito, I thought it was really funny. It's pretty funny how this was pitched to us as a kid's movie. Because I saw this in the theaters when I was 11 years old. And I saw Batman 1989 in the theaters when I was 8 years old. And the reaction these got from a lot of parents who were upset when you know they took their eight or nine year old to a movie and see Danny DeVito's penguin biting a man's nose off or in 1989 when we saw Jack Nicholson burn a man alive with an electronic hand buzzer it's it's just crazy that these were pitches kid movies and I'm glad we're at a place now where we're not trying to pretend anymore like Batman is Captain America this is just this is a kid's movie this is not a kid's movie this is gritty and this was kind of the last one that did this until we got to the Christopher Nolan movies about 13 years after this. And yeah, I really enjoy this movie. I uh, thought Michael Keaton, even though he was, this was kind of the first Batman movie where he was a side character as Batman. Thought he was really good. Really like Christopher Walken in this just excellent movie. The cinematography is cool. The, the score is really good. Big advocate for this movie. Danielle, I know what my answer to this question is, but what are your thoughts on this? Well, it's my favorite Batman movie. So start with that. On top of it being my favorite Batman movie, uh, I also really like Tim Burton. And I kind of forgot how Burtonian this movie is. (laughs) So, and it's like Burton, I'm not a big fan of his more current works. It's got a lot of the elements that his other movies have. So I really enjoyed that in my rewatch kind of forgot about that because I'm always so like heavily emphasizing on Michael Keaton as Batman and Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman and forgot about the the settings and all the stuff that he does from an artistic standpoint. I love this movie. Favorite Batman. I could go on and on and I will. (laughs) 
it's pretty unique because even though this is the second Tim Burton, Michael Keaton, Batman movie, it doesn't really feel like a sequel. It kind of feels like a standalone movie. We do get like a little light reference to Vicki Vale, Kim Basinger's character from the first one. But the original script for this was actually written as a direct sequel. And Tim Burton was not really on board with that. And the script was changed into a more standalone movie. This really doesn't feel like it has any connection to Batman 1989 other than Michael Keaton and Tim Burton. But other than that, this feels like a standalone movie, which is kind of unique. Jackie, where'd you wind up with this one? So I'm going to be honest. I think this movie is really weird. <laughs> That's accurate. And yeah. <laughs> I know. I know it's a Tim Burton. And usually I don't mind Tim Burton for the most part. I know what to expect with Tim Burton. But this one just kind of did not resonate with me entirely. I guess Tim Burton apparently thought a sequel to Batman from 1989 was dumb. And I thought that was a very strong statement to say, but he only agreed to return if he was given complete creative control, which makes a lot of sense with what you're saying there, Dave. And you can tell, um, like you're saying, Danielle, that he had a, a tremendous influence of, of the style of this film it's very apparent that it's a tim burton show that we're watching so what really hit home for me though were these character actors in it we have danny devito as the penguin and michelle pfeiffer as catwoman and wow those performances are fantastic i cannot imagine other people in those shoes playing those roles so that's what really stood out to me for this film. I can't wait to talk more about those actors. And you said you can't imagine anybody else in these roles, but it was actually someone else in this role. Annette Benning was originally cast as Catwoman and got pregnant and had to drop out. And this is where Michelle Pfeiffer came in. And I think this worked out really well for everyone, the viewers of this movie, Michelle Pfeiffer, because I thought she was phenomenal in this. I previously, I'd before this, I didn't see Scarface when I was um, 11 years old, but this is something that she, she was probably known for that and Fabulous Baker Boys, which is critically panned as her greatest performance. And Danny DeVito as Penguin, he was he's well established. He was a box office draw at that point. Twins, he had directed War of the Roses, Throw Mama from the Train. He was a megastar. So for them to join this franchise, along with Christopher Walken, who was kind of like an up-and-comer, we had seen him in uh, King of New York about two years prior to this. Danielle, who from the cast kind of stands out for you the most? Well, Michelle Pfeiffer, I'm going to say. So I have to say Michael Keaton is my older man crush. I have to drop that. I trademark that line, so don't use it. Um, <laughs> uh, he's my older man crush and I love him because of Batman he is like everything I think Batman should be but in my rewatch and just being like kind of honest and outside of my loyalty to him Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman is the performance that I love I think she's amazing um, she's right up there with Heath Ledger for me Nice. I think nice. this is kind of the first movie where the kind of like the aura of Christopher Walken kind of comes out 
because I had seen the movie The Dead Zone, the Stephen King movie with him and Martin Sheen. And I just mentioned King of New York. And he doesn't have like the voice that we kind of know Christopher Walken for until this movie. I don't know if that was like Tim Burton coaching that out of him. But it was like, this was the first time where you kind of get that aura of Christopher Walken where you, you like, wow, he has a really like unique voice where he, he just randomly goes like, he's like, she tries to blackmail me. I'll throw out a higher window. And then like a year later, we see him, in, we see him in true romance where he's, where he goes, he's like, I'm the antichrist. You tell the angels in heaven, you never seen an evil more personified than that of the man who killed you. Like, sorry for my bad walking impression. I hope we don't lose, <laughs> we don't lose <laughs> listeners there. But yeah, this was the first time I, I had seen a lot of his previous work. I've seen the deer hunter. That was an early movie with him too. And the voice wasn't there until this movie. Jackie, same question to you. Does Walken stand out for you or anyone else in particular stand out in this movie? Well, what stood out to me with Walken is how young he was. I'm yeah. so much more familiar with him as an older actor. And I feel like he's significantly more creepy <laughs> nowadays. This guy has always kind of creeped me out. He's got those eyes. <laughs> and a really intense look on his face that you really, really take this guy seriously. When he was first cast, Tim Burton did not want to be around him and kind of didn't want him in the role because he was scared of him. <laughs> and Tim was, Burton... Tim Burton was scared of somebody. Yes, Tim Burton being scared of Christopher Walken tells you something about okay. how on point you are, Jackie. Thank you. Thank you. So, and uh, in fact, uh, David Bowie was the first choice for that role. Yeah. I heard yeah. that. And that's it. That's interesting. I'm, I'm trying to think of like, I've seen Willow. So I remember him in that. And also the prestige Christopher Nolan film between uh, Batman Begins and The Dark Knight. And he's a really good actor. He might've killed in this role, but I can only see Walken. And Walken's just like, He's like a jack of all trades. You need him to be terrifying in this or true romance. You need him to come in for like some comic relief for a five minute scene in Pulp Fiction. He can do that. He could be the, the more cowbell guy and on an SNL skit that kind of like <laughs> just resonates forever. So I, I and he's in Severance, that show we're talking about now. So he's like still doing his thing in the present day. Just like one of my favorite actors. I really like him. I want to circle back to Danny DeVito. Sure. His Penguin performance was off the hook. Yeah. Like I was saying before, I love movies where there is an irreplaceable actor where those shoes could not have been filled by anyone else. Right. And that's exactly how I feel about him in this role. He has such a vivid presentation of this character. He said he loved it playing this role so much that he would jump at the opportunity to play him again without reservation he even remained in character in between takes he was in it and he was in like this 100 pound silicone suit that and they had to do three hours of makeup per day for him and his black teeth and, and drool that was a combination of mouthwash and food coloring yep Ooh, what a physical feat to get through for this role and that commitment. I'm so impressed. And I will always remember Danny DeVito in this role, such a definitive role for him. I don't know, maybe it helped him get the role of Frank on It's Always Sunny. <laughs> <laughs> 
we had talked about in our last episode, Jim Carrey, how Jim mm-hmm. Carrey was just basically just being Jim Carrey. Like, I don't even know if I was thinking about the Riddler. I was just like, okay, this is a Jim Carrey performance. Whereas in this, Danny DeVito, we're just like, wow, he totally transformed himself. I'm not even like really thinking about Danny DeVito at all. I'm like, this is, this is the penguin. And yes. that's, that's probably my answer to that question until I go to see Batman on Thursday. And maybe Colin Farrell changes my mind on that, but I doubt it. I'm so curious. Yeah, this, this, is, uh, this is his role. And you mentioned the bile coming out of his mouth. The reaction to this movie was so visceral from sponsors and parents. McDonald's, which actually one of the one of the sponsors who just said, we don't get it. Why is there black stuff coming out of his mouth? <laughs> and and they actually pulled their sponsorship. And the, the, the reaction to this movie from parents and sponsors, even though this movie made $266 million, uh, just there was just so much outrage and that's, this is ultimately what led to Batman forever and Batman and Robin, unfortunately. But Danielle, when was the first, did you see this in theaters when you were younger? Honestly, I do not remember. Okay. <laughs> so I know I've loved it as long as I can remember. So I must've, that's all I can think of. I can't remember the first time I I've saw it. It's just, uh, there's certain scenes that are embedded in my mind, you know, that, that I love. So, so who knows? Right. I definitely saw this in theaters and I, I don't remember like being disturbed particularly. I do. I do. I did mention that scene with Jack Nicholson where he shakes the guy's hand with the hand buzzer and gets burned alive. I do remember being an eight year old and that was, that was a little tough to take, but nothing in this movie left me fe- feeling traumatized. Jackie, when was the first time you saw this? I have no idea. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that I caught it on TV several times, but I was really familiar with Catwoman and Penguin. I don't know when, but I caught it at some point. I know it definitely wasn't in the theater. My parents wouldn't take me to this kind of film. <laughs> they would absolutely leave me at home and go on a date and go see something cool. Like this. <laughs> uh, well, I saw nothing but like, move. I, I saw Nightmare on Elm Street for the first time when I was four. So uh, yeah, so. Batman Returns is nothing. So that's probably why I don't remember anything now looking at it. And, you know, there's some scenes I wrote down that I was like, whoa, I could see how this is a little questionable for young children to be watching. But definitely at the time, this would have been nothing. Yeah, you mentioned some of the scenes that are like tough for young children. And we get in, in definitely in the Christopher Nolan Batman movies, there's like this big aura, like Batman doesn't kill anyone. That's his code. And in this movie, he lights a dude on fire with the exhaust from the Batmobile. He shoves a thing of dynamite in another guy's chest and watches him blow up. And there's just like a lot of violent scenes in this movie. I had mentioned that the penguin biting the dude's nose off. And uh, there's a scene with Catwoman like rips a dude's face off basically with her claws. There's a lot of really violent scenes in this movie where, you know, I'm glad we're at a place now where it's just Batman is, is not a kid's movie. And I'm looking forward to seeing the new one. Let's let's not try to sugarcoat it. This is this is for adults, and if kids want to see it with their parents, giving them heads up ahead of time that you you might see some crazy shit, then uh, that's fine. Why don't we? Oh, go ahead, Jackie. Oh, I was gonna say I don't think this is one of those marketing scheme movies. We you know we've talked about those in the past where they're trying to crank out the action figures and everything so they can loop kids into it. But like you're saying, I'm so glad we finally got to the point where, yes, this is an adult movie. I would not show, 
well, the new one that is too, yeah. but I wouldn't, I wouldn't sit down and watch this with my kids today. They'd never sleep again. So. <laughs> and yeah, that would be terrible. <laughs> that I wrote down that I was like, this would traumatize me as a child. And uh, maybe it didn't, I just don't even realize it, but the scene <laughs> where um, Selena, you know, Max pushes her out the window and the cats start like attacking her and mm -hmm. You see her hands, like the blood on her fingers and the cats are like biting at her and everything. I was like, this is super creepy. If I was a kid, I would be like not trusting any cats for sure, you know? So <laughs> it's like, it's definitely yeah. not kids, you know? And yeah. fun fact about that scene, that, that was actually a mannequin of Michelle Pfeiffer and it was covered in tuna in order to attract the cats to come and chew yeah, on Yeah, I read that. Yeah. I wondered how she was so glassy face. Yeah. Oh, that's so fascinating. Now I'm going to think about that. Okay. Yeah, another like a little tip that kind of step on like the internet stuff a little bit, but whatever. I'm sure we all have a ton of it anyway. The very end scene where the bat light goes off and it's Michelle Pfeiffer like looking on at the bat light. That is, well, Catwoman, that's not Michelle Pfeiffer. That's just a stand-in for her. And that scene was added in post-production because they were anticipating having a Catwoman sequel and which ultimately didn't happen until 12 years later with uh, Halle Berry, which I'd like to forget. <laughs> I resent that last shot. Yeah. I think that was such a poor choice. Be a mystery whether Catwoman survived. You know, they have her little shadows and the mystic kitty cat that Bruce goes and picks up. And, you know, they fucked up the mysteriousness. I'm disappointed in that. We I didn't read, need that. I read the plot for this original Catwoman movie they had planned, which sounds somewhat familiar, like probably a show that some of, a watch, some of us watch today. It was Catwoman apparently going to a resort island with other superheroes. And the other superheroes are evil, but they're portrayed as good people. This sounds like the plot of the boys hmm. about 20 years earlier. And that just got scrapped. And Ashley Judd was attached to it at one point. And it just kept going through different directors, different scripts. And then we got the Halle Berry version, which was unfortunate oh, for the world. <laughs> so unfortunate. Yeah. But, you know, this movie, really like it overall. And I, th I think... Uh, we all do as well. Jackie might have a little mixed feelings on it. All right. On that note, why don't we take a quick break and we'll go into our favorite scenes. All right, we're back. Favorite scenes. The first one I have here is uh, Max Shrek and the penguin in the cave. And this, I think this is the first time we see the Danny DeVito penguin. We do see him as a kid with Paul Rubens as his father. Shout out to Pee Wee Herman. But we, we do see him... <laughs> we do see him kidnapped and this is the scene penguin essentially blackmails him into helping him kind of become a human figure he wants to come out into the real world he's been hiding in the sewer and shrek christopher walken's character is initially reluctant to do this until he tells him you know i've got your paperwork here that you're opening a toxic waste disposal company. I did think mm -hmm. of Terry Silver from Cobra Kai and Karate Kid 3. I thought maybe they're, they're long lost relatives trying to open nuclear power plants. I thought about that too, Dave. <laughs> Just yeah, to call back in. waste friends there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he did murder his partner. I wonder how that he was able to flush this man's hand down the toilet. That's maybe a little nitpick, but he got the whole hand and basically told him I've been 
picking up your shit for all these years, but you know, in between the piles of your shit, I'm getting paperwork and human hands. Ew. <laughs> and he does show off his his cool umbrella collection, which I liked. Uh, you know, he's got the flamethrower umbrella, the knife umbrella, and then he's got the one with the blanks. Then he's got his whole squad down there. You know, his band of misfits. It's a good little crew, very Tim Burton esque squad going on there. Danielle, what'd you think of this scene? Oh, it's she's got the the woman is my favorite with the dog, of course. Yeah. <laughs> love that dog. I, yeah. yeah, and I totally agree that I love the umbrellas. I love the crew. It's a very classic Tim Burton. And like I said, I, I love Tim Burton. So right up my alley. Definitely. Uh, Jackie, what'd you think of that scene? I really like the penguin layer. We've got the floating ducky boat. <laughs> and like you were saying, the misfit clowns. And yeah, um, where does one recruit a goon, you know, <laughs> or these goon babes? Like they really do find these like really attractive goon babes yeah. <laughs> of the clown variety yeah. as well <laughs> so yeah in the umbrella collection and that that was a pretty cool bad guy layer i have i have to hand it to him you got the penguins too you know they got a whole a whole team there it was you know good squad you know you, it's tough to find good friends so <laughs> That's i love the penguins yeah. Um, the penguins were like like seriously catered to yeah in in this movie they had like the uh pool for them they they kept danny devito said it was like it was freezing on set because they had to have so much air conditioning for the penguins oh. and supposedly the uh the, there was three sets of penguins different sizes and the little one was the little ones were aggressive where the uh large ones were very friendly and it's just a lot went on with those penguins and penguin army. Love it. <laughs> I was really curious about those penguins. So I looked it up a little bit and there were, like you are saying, real live penguins that were well taken care of. And there, but there were also robot penguins and <laughs> CG penguins too. Yeah, no, they were very loyal. Very, very cool. Ready to, <laughs> ready to throw off some missiles when, when asked. <laughs> No, so. Jackie, what's the scene you had? So I, I feel a little bad saying this, but I like the scene where Catwoman loses her mind. Okay. Is this I after mean, she's thrown out the window? Well, let's talk about that progression. Okay. So we see her operate pretty normally in her apartment. She checks her messages. She feeds the cat. She has a lot to process on a normal day with this hostile work environment that she works in. And then her boss unsuccessfully tries to kill her by throwing her out the window. She's resurrected by cats. <laughs> so that's that's something. She stumbles home. She's in such a haze. She's clearly not in a solid state of mind. Her voicemail triggers her and breaks her and she starts smashing everything and freaks out she <laughs> she's putting stuffed animals in the garbage disposal joyfully watching them get ground up with all the little fluffies flying in the air she's chugging milk the kitties are like meow, meow. they're going after her and she's maniacally spray painting the walls black she eventually finds this faux leather jacket in her closet. She gets this immediate focus <laughs> and she starts constructing and sewing the cat costume. I like how she uses needles for her claws. 
there's this really cool point where she's sewing and she just tilts her head back. She's so hyper-focused, yet she is incredibly unhinged at the same time. She's got that crazy look in her eyes and so much happened in such a short amount of time. I appreciated that scene so much. What do you I have it in my notes it? here. I why I have it in my notes. Why does she have black spray spray paint in her house? Like, what does she need that for? It was just, it was just there. And she, <laughs> yeah, for this purpose, in case she hears a perfume commercial come on her answering machine. It's just a total callback. Like you're getting commercials sent to your answering machine, very early '90s, and that just set her off to where she trashes her whole apartment. And then it's like, I'm really angry. I'm gonna start sewing. <laughs> And then the, the neon lights, hello here, conveniently, hell here. Just good scene. Danielle, what'd you think of it? Well, he just stole my biggest thing about the scene. I love the pink hell here in the background and the shot of how you see her in the costume. Um, I just, I love the whole scene that's on my, that's on my list of favorite scenes as well. All right. What's another one? So my absolute favorite scene um, of any Batman movie is when Bruce and Selena realize who the other one is. Yes. And with the infamous line, mistletoe can be deadly if you eat it, but a kiss can be even deadlier if you mean it. Yeah. I absolutely love that line. I love everything about that scene. I like the song Face to Face by uh, Susie and the Banshees that they use. And then Danny Elfman's score when they... Um, when they realized their chemistry was just amazing and it's such a it's like such a tragic love story i just want them to be happy they live happily together fighting crime together forever so uh, i just really love that scene and she looks beautiful and you know just great right before that you mentioned the, the mistletoe line she pulls out a gun and she tells bruce that she's gonna kill max shrek and bruce goes to her is like who the hell do you think you are and she just starts crying and she's like, I don't, I don't even know anymore. And it was just such a, like a powerful moment from Michelle Pfeiffer in this scene. Yeah. I, th I, I agree with you, Danielle. I thought this was her strongest scene in the movie. Maybe not as Catwoman, but as Selena Kyle, I thought this was uh, Selena Kyle's strongest scene in this movie. Jackie, what did you think of that scene? You know, I'm glad we got this glimpse of a little more detail into like you're saying into Selena's role or Selena's side of this character and i think bruce really sees himself in this woman they almost lose themselves with each other with this relationship i was rooting for him too danielle i wanted to see this work but i was also kind of shocked like she's taking out this gun she's sobbing i don't know i feel like the whole gun thing would have been a deal breaker but <laughs> I guess he's a violent person himself. I mean, maybe, you know, she is a good match, a good balance for him. That's what resonated with him. Well, later in the movie, he even says to her, we're the same. When, yes. uh, you know, so to further uh, expand on your point, they are like two sides of the same coin. And that's why they've got such great chemistry. But it's also why it's kind of, it's tragic because they're not necessarily connected for the good points in them. Definitely. Good, good points there. Another scene I have written down here is the first fight with Batman and Catwoman. And this is 
we see before Catwoman shows up, this is right after she does the famous whip scene in the sporting goods store. And we see Batman and Penguin, they're arguing. Penguin has his famous, you don't really think you'll win line. And she just comes in doing somersaults and goes meow as the sporting goods store explodes. And then Penguin flies away. Batman and Catwoman have this fight and she's just really good, really good. I thought it was a good fight. The The choreography and the fight was really well. And then Batman finally hits her and she's like, how could you? I'm a woman. And it ends with him punching her off her roof and she falls into kitty litter. Really like symbolic scene. I enjoyed it a lot. Jackie, what'd you think of that scene? I have to tell you today, I've been walking around saying meow. <laughs> <laughs> to my cat <laughs> everybody <laughs> to every response everything i'm like meow <laughs> that was that was a fun point i liked that fight scene the the latter part of it where catwoman and Bat- batman are fighting each other and she's pulling out these deceitful moves on him she's breaking the rules of fair fight here and entertaining nonetheless and how convenient that there's always a a cat litter truck driving by or a truck full of sand driving by for somebody to land in but okay i'll buy it (laughs) yeah really really good movie fight i thought it was it was a kind of a brief scene but I, i thought this was you know this is this is ultimately an action movie and i thought that was that was a good action sequence there um, another scene I have written down here is where Bruce sabotages the penguin speech. And this is where Cobblepot is propped up to be the mayor of Gotham by this awful person is going to be a powerful politician propped up by rich people. Doesn't sound familiar at all. And, <laughs> and then finally, you know, Bruce has all this audio of penguin saying awful things about the, the citizens of Gotham. And I was actually in my notes they hear all this stuff and they start throwing fruit at him. And I think uh, Penguin actually says like, who, who brings produce to a, to a political speech. I was actually writing that down in my notes before he Me actually too. just said it. I was like, okay, Danny DeVito, you, you were of the same mind here, but yeah, just while, yeah, everyone had produce. There was a lot of, <laughs> everyone was prepared, you know, just in case, you know, we're going to make a salad right after the speech. This is going to be a really great speech. We're going to go vote for Cobblepot. And then, you know, we're going to, we're going to make, we're going to make some Caesar salad. We're, we're going to be good to go. I mean, would, when you go to a press conference, Dave, don't you bring produce with you? Usually just some strawberries and then like some romaine lettuce. No just, toma- just... tomatoes, Danielle. <laughs> nope. I'm usually produce free. Okay. And it was, okay. it wasn't one person, like the whole, the whole <laughs> city of Gotham had, the whole produce section at Target with them. It, <laughs> it was wild. And then, yeah, he, people are booing. Then he opens fire on the whole crowd. It, it was wild. And then the police are chasing after him. He conveniently jumps back in the lake. A little symbolism there, because that's the lake that his parents threw him in in the beginning of the movie. Uh, just, I thought that was a good scene. This is where Penguin, he rose really high, and then he fell really fast. Danielle, any thoughts on that scene? Um, Pretty much hit everything. Um, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was thought it was a fun scene. In some films, it may not work; um, might be too far fetched, you know. But being that it's a Burton film and in the realm of Burton, everyone carrying some produce makes perfect sense. Nailed it. We're about to lose the Zoom, so we'll, we'll reset.
Oh, can I add one more thought onto that? We'll just can sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you blind for a second? That's fine. I love how it's perfectly spelled out for us that Batman is trying to jam frequency on Penguin's <laughs> press conference microphone. It's, yeah. It is spelled across his little bat screen and he and Alfred are coordinating with each other. They've got the CD, his special CD ROM drive even has a Batman logo on it. I like how they um, just painted that perfect little shortcut for us there. I'm really, really impressed with that technology, by the way, about jamming yeah. a microphone <laughs> frequency. I would just the contrast. I love Michael Go as Alfred in this movie where oh, yes. we just, and where we just covered Batman forever and just everything about the campiness of that movie, even Alfred became a little campy and, and annoying, but under the Tim Burton direction, he was like really good in this role. I put him up there with Michael Caine in the first two, the Tim Burton, Tim Burton, Michael go. I'd stack up there with Michael Caine as, as best Alfred. All right. Danielle, you have another scene. Yeah. There's one scene in particular that I really like. Um, Selena and Max, they have a talk. Um, I think it's like in the office or the basement or something like that. And the lighting in that is really cool. The way it's lit, um, it casts shadows on their face, okay. on their faces. So it's like, it's just done in a really cool way. I did a paper when I was in college, I was a film student and I did a paper on uh, uh, Edward Scissorhands. So Cool. I'm very familiar with like Burton's techniques. So it's like fun to watch a movie and see those things being replicated. So he likes to do like a lot of contrast, you know, when like the scene of um, uh, Selena, when she hits the ground, when she gets pushed out of the window, the way she sprawled out on the snow, you know, like there's just all throughout the whole movie. There's so many different scenes that, you know, like this to me, this is more than, you know, just an average movie. It's a piece of art. Yeah, no, absolutely. This is definitely like, it, it's, you're experiencing something when you're seeing this movie. This is like, the cinematography is just gorgeous, as you alluded to. It's really, absolutely. definitely a, a unique movie, like most of Tim Burton's early works. The last scene I have here is the end scene. This is where um, I, I, Maybe like my one nitpick of the movie was Penguin's big plan to kill all of Gotham's firstborn sons. And that plan gets kind of thwarted really quickly. And this is probably, you know, what maybe sent a lot of parents up in arms around this time. But that plan gets thwarted really quick. And then we're in the the Penguin's lair where Shrek is in this big birdcage, which is kind of funny. And he gets out and Selena, Catwoman, hits him with the whip. And she she tries to kill him. Batman stops her. And then they have the, like, this big moment, this fight. They both take their masks off. And I thought Christopher Walker was really funny in the scene. He's like, Selena, Kyle, you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> he winds up shooting uh, Batman. He winds up shooting Selena Kyle, but she has nine lives. And she electrocutes him with the thing. Really good corpse. It was like a really f creepy Christopher Walken corpse. Like it, his hair was wild. Like the eyeballs were like, they look like Walken's eyeballs, but like they were really peeled back. I, th I thought that was really creepy when they just pulled him out of there. And then I thought the penguins death ultimately being like, I thought that was some cool imagery as well. Like the penguins essentially escorting him into the water to 
you know, just die essentially. And uh, what? It, oh, he he grabbed an umbrella, and the bile is just really coming out of his mouth here. And he's like, I I picked the cute one. He picked like the one umbrella that was just like an umbrella. And yeah, I thought the end of this movie was was really good. I thought this ended really well. And then you know we did get the post production scene with Catwoman at the end that was ultimately for not. But other than that, great ending, great movie. Jackie, what'd you think of the ending? The electrocution really stands out to me. And the image you were describing previously of the fried Christopher Walken, (laughs) that is like singed into my brain. (laughs) (laughs) They definitely got that one figured out. I I thought that was an interesting move there. And I'll rewind slightly because I knew as soon as Shrek and Selena learned Batman's true identity that the rules were broken nobody else can know that (laughs) so how are they gonna walk away alive from this scene so I think that's also why I was a little bent out of shape that Catwoman had her last shot in the movie however usually in these types of stories it is kind of formulaic nobody's allowed to know yeah and then to see her electrocute Christopher Walken this way and electrocute herself at the same time, I was a little surprised. I'm like, why didn't she just shove the plug in his mouth and, <laughs> and yeah. just fry him and not herself? But she is at that point of apparently no return where she has completely lost it. And she <laughs> she wants her revenge on this guy. And this is the best way to get it. And then apparently she has nine lives. Yeah. Too, so with with the whole cat thing. Yeah, sure, I, get, yeah. I get it. I get it. Naturally. She survives getting shot at multiple times. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'll buy it. I'll buy sure. it. And I was wondering if the penguin's death was a little anticlimactic because he could just kind of stumbles up there. Yeah. And he's like, it's too warm in here. And then that's it. I don't know how capable Penguin would have been of fighting with Batman beyond that. Yeah, not so much. He didn't really have that much more potential to give Batman a problem at that point. So (laughs) I guess with the Penguins, good send off for him. I'll take it. (laughs) Danielle, what'd you think of the ending? I enjoyed it. I liked I liked uh, Catwoman's rhymes that she was as she was going through her lives. Yes, good. It, you know mm-hmm. that was I thought that was cute. I was also baffled that uh, Batman revealed his identity not to Catwoman because she already knew, and yeah. I think she would have protected him and not given given him up anyway. But I was wondering what the purpose was in terms of Max being there. I guess you know. He, as Bruce, he was really trying to reason with her and get her not to do this and not kill Max. Um, so maybe that was the thinking behind it to kind of like make it more human so she could see his emotions, his face and everything. But I was just, I did think that in the midst of it, as much as I love this movie, and I was like, well, that's kind of dumb. Why would he show Max's true identity, you know? So. And his, ma- his mask came off really easily. You would think oh, like yeah. he's not the- he just ripped it off with like it it was like taking a fruit roll up off the plastic it was just (laughs) it was just just came right off you figure this this high-tech costume that uh, you know gets shot at all the time and he just walks away from this you figure that you you might have like something securing it 
but no, he just he just ripped that off like really easily. And yeah, it's another little nitpick, but I was able to uh, overlook that. Yeah, I mean, I I, I love there. There's another. There's a line in this movie that I wrote down, and I I wrote lame in my notes. Um, <laughs> when Batman, because I love this movie, so I really can't criticize it. But I feel guilty. But Batman tells Catwoman to eat floor. And I feel like such a 90s kind of like insult kind of thing, like eat floor, you know, like I was just like, come on, you know, Um, accurate. That is lame. (laughs) I don't think we talked about it when we did Batman Forever, but there's like a scene where Robin, Chris O'Donnell just randomly goes, holy rusted metal, Batman. And we're just like, sure, I guess. And that probably is in the same vein of that scene. So great scenes, great movie. Why don't we segue into According to the Internet? So the first one I have here was um, a, a casting almost, as I, as I like to do. Um, Tim Burton originally wanted Burgess Meredith to play the Penguin's father. Burgess Meredith, of course, played the Penguin in the Adam West Batman movie. and But he was unable to do it due to illness. And I looked at the timeline and I said, okay, he must have been close to dying before then. No, he was, this is unfortunate because this was 92. He was in both of the Grumpy Old Men movies, Grumpy Old Men and Grumpy Old Men after this. And he did, he, he did, didn't die, he didn't die until 1997. So it, it was, it was unfortunate, but it was good to see uh, Paul Rubens in this role, AKA Pee Wee Herman. And we talked about Jackie, we talked about the, the message of natural born killers when we watched that movie. It was like how the media sensationalizes things. And, you know, I didn't really know any like important issues in the world, but even at 11 years old, I knew that Pee Wee Herman got caught jerking off in a theater. And so even seeing this at 11 years old, I was like, is that Pee Wee Herman? Okay. You know, and I was, I was like, okay, cool. Good, good, good to see him, (laughs) you know? And I don't even know if I knew what that meant at that point, 11 years old. I was like, yeah, Pee Wee Herman caught masturbating in a theater. I'm like, oh, that's bad. Right. (laughs) Like, I remember that too. That was such a weird point in time. Yeah, yeah, just crazy time to be alive. Interpreting that as a kid and just like, what? Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't really argue with it. You know, I'm glad, <laughs> glad to see him in this role. He didn't speak at all, but, you know, it would have been cool to see Burgess Meredith in there even. He was a lot older at that point than Paul Rubens was. But, yeah, that was that was a unfortunate miss, I think. Uh, Jackie, do you have an internet tidbit? So I have some casting what-ifs to add on for Catwoman. Okay. Um, we talked about Annette Benig and how that worked out. And I guess Michelle Pfeiffer was able to step up because apparently she was a big Catwoman fan to begin with. Yeah. So that, that really worked out for her. They were also considering Madonna, Cher, or Bridget Fonda. Really? Okay. So obviously they were looking for a certain look, certain body type here. I could maybe see Madonna. It was about two years after Dick Tracy and where she plays kind of the the femme fatale in that movie. So yeah, I, I I could have seen, I could have seen Madonna. Madonna was huge at this point. This was like the peak of her powers. That that would have been a, that would have been a power casting, but ultimately Michelle Pfeiffer was the best part of this movie for me. Not to, not to spoil who I'm giving MVP to, but she was, yeah. I I I was so taken with her. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Madonna would have ruined the movie. Yeah, <laughs> I, I cannot see Maybe anybody so. else in this role. So nobody. Yeah. Like, and I look at and I compare her. You know, when when Anne Hathaway was first cast, 
I was like, this is BS. You know, I was like, uh -huh. she'll never touch Michelle Pfeiffer. And then we saw it and I was like, okay, she's decent, you know, whatever, you know, it kind of retract my statement. But after watching Batman Returns the other night, I was like, nope, I stand by this. Anne Hathaway cannot hold a candle to Michelle. No, I don't think anybody can. So what about, I, what I like about that Zoe? conviction. I, I don't, I will give, I'll be open-minded, but I'm already like, there is, Michelle Pfeiffer is Catwoman. I yes. feel like if anybody... If I, I feel like if anybody could do it, maybe Zoe Kravitz. I do. I'm going into this with with high hopes, but I do ultimately still think of. I think feel like this is her crown to lose. And uh, but yeah, Zoe Kravitz. I have. I'm optimistic that, that this is going to be a a big role for her. We'll we'll see. TBD. We'll see. Uh, Danielle, did you have any internet things you like to cite? Michelle Pfeiffer was vacuum sealed into her costume. Yeah. yeah. So my I don't even. Gosh. Yeah, I don't even know, like the mechanics of that how that happens so i've never <laughs> heard of a human being vacuum sealed into anything yeah so uh, you know it's usually like leftovers that are vacuum sealed so um she was vacuum sealed into her costume and they they had to work fast because if she was in it for too long she would get lightheaded and she would faint yeah so, yeah she had this her scenes were very brief where she could be in that suit not for and, a long time and so yeah and the performance that she gives you have to imagine i would think if you're vacuum sealed into something you are yeah. uncomfortable most likely yeah so to think she was able to pull up a performance like that i mean i give you yeah. more respect to her yeah we're not doing multiple takes we're, tr we're trying to get this in in one cut here but yeah really good kind of piggyback off you a little bit danny devito actually we talked about him earlier he had to spend three hours a day in makeup but he actually had a, a Blu-ray player put on one of the shelves in his trailer. So while he was, you know, it's grueling spending three hours going through that. But he just said he watched movies. <laughs> so for three hours work of make worth of makeup, you're just you're just sitting there chilling watching a movie. You know, I I could find worse ways to spend my it. time. <laughs> but yeah, that was that was pretty cool. I want to add on to that. I had a big point about Danny DeVito's costuming as well, because that was a really interesting costume. And first, I was wondering, is that really his body? <laughs> like, what? No, yeah. no, that can't be him. And and I think I said earlier, it's it's like a giant silicone fat suit. And <laughs> <laughs> it, he said it was miserable to wear, but it put him in such a bad mood that he channeled that for his character <laughs> and that was interesting that's interesting and he, the outfit that he's wearing throughout the film is supposed to be baby clothes okay from when he was abandoned so it's right. like a little swaddling top and then kind of a onesie pajama yeah type suit <laughs> despite that he's around 33 <laughs> years old but yeah sure it's called fashion <laughs> guess so <laughs> um another one i have written down here was that security on the set was so tight after photos of danny devito in costume surfaced and were leaked to tabloids so tight in fact that kevin costner tried to get on to the set and they wouldn't let him on so mm -hmm. this is like you know I, I don't i just read that photos leaked from the set and you know this was 1992 try to make a film of this caliber now without somebody leaking something onto Twitter. With a cell phone? Or what, yeah, yeah. Or something? This is pre-cell phone. 
imagine you have to be the guy with like just a big big ass camera walking around the, the set to get pictures of the veto so it was like an interesting tidbit i found so i was telling you earlier that i discovered i didn't know this and i should have known daniel waters wrote the script um for batman returns yes and he um for those that out there don't know who he is he wrote heathers um which is one of my all-time favorite movies yeah so it was cool to have that connection but he's talked about Ma batman returns and he's just got some great sound bites so they talk about how there's like like for example catwoman's costume it's it, there's a lot of like snm kind of stuff going on you know sure. yes. the whip and everything and so he said it's not the dark it's the pervy that bothers the muggles <laughs> i thought that was hysterical especially the muggles drop in there so he said that and then the other thing that's a, a fun fact they played with having robin in the movie in different iterations both yeah. young and old um so he referred to robin as the most worthless character in the world um, I don't exactly know the insides of that of why, but uh -huh. that was just a quote that was taken. And um, when there was a rewrite on the script, he wasn't a part of this, but they were going to cast Marlon Wayans yeah. um, as uh, an adult Robin who's a mechanic on the Batmobile. And uh, he was going to get a two-picture deal, and then, you know, everything went to hell with with everything and his role got cut anyway from the movie um he still gets residual checks from that yeah i guess same. from batman return how about that yeah so same he's thing with today with billy d williams who was set to reprise his role as harvey dent from batman 1989 and that part was ultimately written out and replaced by the Max Shrek character, which was tossed around between david bowie and christopher walken but yeah billy d williams was also uh written out of this movie so pretty interesting choices there um another one i have here we talked about on, on our batman forever podcast how michael jackson had this weird campaign to be the riddler that was that was basically ignored by everybody there was also a campaign by sean young of from no way out she was in blade runner ace ventura pet detective finkel is einhorn uh she was she we campaigned to be Catwoman. She had reached out to Tim Burton. Tim Burton ignored her. She actually broke onto the set of Warner Brothers with a friend who had walkie-talkies. They they were trying to find Tim Burton. They could not find Tim Burton, but they found Michael Keaton in a meeting with the heads of the Warner Brothers studio. And she ultimately crashed this meeting. And ultimately, they were cast aside. They were escorted off the lot because Tim Burton did not want to talk to Sean Young to be Catwoman. This is kind of crazy person behavior. And there's an appearance, you can look it up on YouTube, where she's still campaigning. She's on the Joan Rivers talk show, Joan Rivers talk show, talk about late 80s, early 90s, dressed as Catwoman. And it's just, it was just really kind of like, I, it was a 40 minute long segment. I watched about five minutes of it. I was, I couldn't, I couldn't watch the whole thing, but it was kind of batshit. And it was pretty crazy. We talked about, you know, Michael Jackson, with this weird campaign and Sean Jackson had this weird campaign for this role too. Um, you know, she's a, she's a good actor, not even, you know, in the caliber of Michelle Pfeiffer in, in my opinion, but mm. pretty, pretty, pretty wild behind the scenes stories here. I made it three minutes through that video. Oh, you watched the same one? Yes. <laughs> yeah, Actually, it was going to be my trivia question, but there goes oh, that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, I watched three minutes and I was like, this chick is crazy and turned it off. 
<laughs> All right, I got one more little tidbit, but did either of you have any? I've got two. Excellent. Um, so let's call them script what-ifs. Sure. So in one version of the script, Christopher Walken was apparently written as Penguin's brother. Yeah. Yeah, the prince of the family. And Maybe, yeah. The black sheep was Oswald. I don't think that's too far-fetched. So. No. Okay, yeah. But maybe not necessarily necessary. Yeah. So that was interesting. They also had a scenario where the penguin and Catwoman teamed up together for a robbery, but they decided to recycle a plot from a Batman TV show from uh, ab- about a business mogul backing the penguin to run for mayor. <laughs> I read another one too, and I don't know if you read this one, Jackie, that they were searching for buried treasure, the penguin and the Catwoman. That was another early... They were trying to find treasure and Batman was trying to stop them from finding this treasure. I did come across that plot line. That does that does sound very 60s Batman. <laughs> very. Something that might have been in a half hour episode of TV, but maybe not suitable for a two hour long movie. Um, the last one I have written down here was that Danny DeVito had conferred with Jack Nicholson throughout the, the filming of the movie for advice. Jack Nicholson obviously played the Joker. This was 1992. Both of them were in the movie Hoffa together, Jack Nicholson playing uh, Jimmy Hoffa. So this was around the same time they were working together. So it was pretty cool that the two of them were, uh, you know, taking notes from one another because Jack Nicholson was excellent Joker. Penguin, Danny DeVito was an excellent Penguin. So whatever advice he got from him, it worked out well because both of these guys were excellent in the, the roles they played. All right. Trivia. Jackie, would you like to go first or me? Sure, I'll go. All right. Okay, so which one of these statements is not true about Michelle Pfeiffer? Okay. She is a very talented oil painter, and if it weren't for her painting, she would have acted in more films. Okay. Pfeiffer started as a soap opera star. She came in sixth place at the Miss California beauty pageant and decided acting was a better path for her instead. She and Michael Keaton had a brief affair. Uh, okay. I'll, I'll go her and Keaton is the, is the weak link there. Okay. Danielle, what do you think? I agree because I feel like I would know about that. (laughs) According to the internet, that is apparently true. Okay. They had a um, brief relationship before this film okay. took place. So I was really surprised to read that myself. Um, which, she, which did, she did not start as a soap opera star. She actually was a court stenographer and a waitress. Wow. Or something. Okay. All right. Cool. The more you know. Yeah. <laughs> Learning some stuff. All right, cool. So Tim Burton has obviously made a lot of movies, and a lot of people that were in his Batman movies worked with him multiple times. He's worked with a lot of he works with a lot of the same people a lot of times. So I guess he's he's easy to work with. Um, I'm gonna give you a list of actors. Tell me which one of these actors was in the least amount of Tim Burton movies. Oh my. <laughs> was it Michael Keaton? Danny DeVito, 
Jack Nicholson, Christopher Walken, Johnny Depp, or Winona Ryder? I feel like this could be a trick question. Maybe. I feel like Johnny Depp has done a lot of work with Is that one you can eliminate right away? That's what I'm feeling like. Okay. Danielle, you can you can feel free to step in <laughs> unless you want me to run through my logic first or I'm gonna can. go Jack Nicholson. Okay. You're leaning towards Jack. Um I really wonder if this is a trick question, Dave. So okay. I'm gonna gamble on Winona. Okay, it was Jack Nicholson. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Um Winona was in three. Beetlejuice, Edward Scissorhands, and Frankenweenie. Okay, okay. Uh, I forgot about Frankenweenie. Jack and Jack Nicholson was in two, uh, Batman and Mars Attacks. Mars Attacks um, had DeVito and Nicholson on the same movie. And it was wild. I was looking at all this. Yeah, Johnny Depp was in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Um, I could have also put Helena Bonham Carter on this list. She I was, was all, just thinking of well, her. they were they were married, and she was in eight of his films as well. And uh, Keaton got three because he was recently in Dumbo, which I did not see. But he he was in that too. DeVito was also in Dumbo, so they all reunited for that. I love Dumbo. Was it good? I loved it. Okay, I didn't say it. Um, was it better than the cartoon? Because the cartoon like breaks my heart. Uh, it was it was sad. Okay. I it. it was just fantastical, and and I loved it. Colin Farrell was in it, right? Yes. So he had two penguins in the same movie. Huh. Yeah. There's cool. some trivia right there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. Oh, yeah, maybe question. I'll to uh, check that out at some point. Um, Danielle, what's something good you... Oh, wait, shit. Nope. I edit that. We didn't get there yet. Um, MVP. Yes, yes. All right. Awards time. We'll do our sixth man first. And just for anyone listening, sixth man is a basketball term for someone who's not the star of the game, or in this case, the movie, but someone who plays a side role and is a pivotal part of the film. I went, I didn't even have like any horses in this race. It was like a one horse race for me. I went Christopher Walken as Max Shrek. I just thought he was, he was a good foil art, you know, arguably if he got more screen time, I thought he would have been right there with Pfeiffer and DeVito as like just a great villain. And I thought he was a good foil to the business world. And we do see a lot of, you know, unfortunately we see a lot of Max Shreks in the world today. And I just, I, Love Christopher Walken and anything he's in. So my sixth man is uh, Christopher Walken. Danielle, where'd you land with this one? Same. Okay. He's the most memorable. I wanted to try, you know, I tried to watch scenes with uh, Alfred and be like, I like Alfred, you know, <laughs> but Christopher Walken, just the whole get up, his, him being himself was just uh, great. Love Those are hair. Those are cool suits he had on. I like the the uh, the little puffy pinstripe suits. Very uh very nineteen thirties gangster. I thought his hair was so cool. I yeah. love his hair. Yeah, he's he's great in this role. Uh, Jackie, where'd you where'd you wind up with this one? I'm really torn. Okay. My uh, same same uh, candidates as you guys. All right. Here with Christopher Walken and Michael Go as Alfred. Okay. And I'm really tempted to say Alfred because. You know, Batman wouldn't be Batman without Alfred. And Michael Goh made it through all of these films. Yeah. I don't think it'd be the same without him. So no. I'm yeah, going go to tip the scale here. You'll go go. Yeah, he was definitely the fiber throughout all these movies, you know. And he, he definitely changed his performance. But, 
you know, we joked, we joked about this in our Batman forever show, how they, we were just supposed to like accept that these were like the same characters torn throughout the movies. And they put Pat Hingle as commissioner Gordon and Michael go as Alfred in all four of these films, just to give them like the one link or the one or two links connecting everything. Just, right. just wild that, you know, we were, we were supposed to believe that George Clooney five years later was the same character as Michael Keaton, but you know, this was pre-internet so they could get away with that shit then. All right, good. So we went, we had two for walk-in, one for Michael Go. Excellent. And our MVP of the movie, that should be self-explanatory, but that's the person who essentially wins the movie. And for me, this wasn't even, uh, this was also just a one horse race. I went Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman. I just, Michelle Pfeiffer, both, you know, playing two roles. Excellent excellently as Catwoman and Selena Kyle I thought just every scene she was in she owned and I did think I got it I wasn't prepared for this but I think this is her signature role in her career she's obviously had Scarface we talked about Fabulous Faker Boys but I think you know when you look back on her career this is what I think of and I would imagine a lot of others think of so Danielle same question where'd you go MVP well you keep stealing my thunder sorry so uh, I, I do it. Also, I do it to Jackie all the time. So it's, it's... I also uh, went with Michelle Pfeiffer. Uh, as much as I love my older man crush and wanted to go with Michael Keaton, Michelle Pfeiffer just the way she plays that the the unhinged role in like you know the the conflict between who she was and who she's become and the good and the evil within her. Um, it's just she's such a tragic character and she pulls it off so well. I uh, just, I adored her in this role. All right. So we are of two minds on both awards. Jackie, where are you going to land with this one? I was really tempted to say Danny DeVito as the penguin. <laughs> I was singing his praises earlier, but I am in accord with you too. And you've pretty much summed it up for Catwoman. She is an absolute vision for this role. And both sides of this role. Yeah. And I'm so impressed with her performance. And when you think of Michelle Pfeiffer or you think of Catwoman, you they are one and the same. Yeah. Definitely. It is a perfect role for no her. argument. We're all we're all of one mind on this one. Cool. Very good. Uh Danielle, what's something good you watch this week? Oh, uh, I get to plug. Okay. So I am watching the show from that's on yeah. Epics. All right, this is this is your moment. Yes, I've been waiting for this. Epics, <laughs> you're listening, sponsored the pod, and we could talk about it every week. Oh, I will. Uh, yeah, so like what you think. So uh, <laughs> this show is about it stars Michael Par uh, who uh, Paranu, I'm sorry, yeah. who was Michael in Lost, Damon Pope on Sons of Anarchy. Mercutio in Romeo and Juliet, the Leonardo DiCaprio version. And he was an and, Oz, too. And and what else? Oz. Okay. So it's about a, a town that once you enter this town, you can't escape. There's no way out of the town. And then at night, everyone has to shutter their windows and they have to hang like this uh, talisman in the door frame because there are these creatures that come at night that look like humans and they know your name. They try to get you to open up the door, open the windows, and you can imagine what happens if you do so. Okay. So um, it's a great show. 
It is the first three episodes are free on Prime because they're trying to get you in. Um, it, it's a 10 episode show in total. Their episodes are weekly starting with the fourth episode. And uh, yeah, so you can get the first three free for Prime. 99 cents you can get for a month of epics and then it's 5.99 the week after. So it's $6.98 if you want to watch this show. Okay. Or you can wait and pay 99 cents. <laughs> I've heard, obviously I've heard you plugging this a lot and it's starting to trickle into the the film and TV Twitter that I follow and some of the other groups I'm in where I, I you know, go for news. I'm um, starting to see the show a little bit talked about. Um, yeah. And epics. I will, if you want to sponsor us, I will watch every episode of the show twice. Me too. <laughs> Jackie will as well. And we'll, <laughs> we might even do, we might even do an episode or two on it. What but is the uh, feedback that you're seeing? From I'm, I'm hearing positive. I'm hearing positive things about the okay. show. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. Starting to get buzz and maybe, maybe it'll be the, uh, the thing the streaming service needs to get some traction to it. Cause I have heard of epics. It's, it's oh, when I go on my fire stick, it's like shown as, do you want to download epics? Not right now, but <laughs> maybe in a couple months. So, all right, cool. I'm glad you're really enjoying the show. And, uh, yeah, maybe the first three episodes are free on prime. Maybe I'll, I'll get there, but yeah, it sounds like, your endorsement is, is pretty solid and it does. I've seen the commercials. I, t I think I messaged you. I was like, I was watching basketball on ESPN at like 1230 and I was like, okay, there's commercials for the show on I'm like, Oh, these shows that is commercial. So cool. Yeah. From sounds, sounds like a, sounds like a good one. I'm, I'm cautiously curious, Danielle. I know we've been talking about it a little bit this week and it sounds very creepy with hanging the talismans on the window and <laughs> It's a creepy show. It's I'm definitely so curious. Show. But I will keep promoting it every Sunday. It comes out every Sunday. It's my Sunday morning show. And okay. you'll see a post in the group All every right. Sunday. <laughs> All right. All right. I'm looking forward to hearing more about that. Cool. Uh, Jackie, what's something good you watch this week? Well, I've been watching a lot of Batman All right, cool. lately. And that has been occupying a lot of my time. So yeah. it's been a little bit hard to squeeze in some new content. Okay. So luckily, my son has branched out a little bit from the kids shows to these adventure shows. Okay. And one such show is You versus Wild with Bear Grylls. Nice. And it's kind of cool. It, it seems to be this kind of phase that that's out with Netflix right now uh, because it's one of those interactive shows where you get to make the decision for the adventure. Uh, you literally use your remote. So Bear Grylls goes out into the desert. He has a point he needs to get to. You have to navigate to, to get him to that point. So you have to choose, okay, am I going to go through the the narrow gorge with all these sharp jagged rocks or do I need to go across the sandy desert without shady cover and if you navigate him the wrong way he'll get bit by scorpions and get poisoned or he'll um, fall over from dehydration <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not always the obvious choice so it kind of keeps you on your toes and you know it's kind of a fun little phase that okay. you know kind of like they they had they had smell vision once <laughs> or you know 3d or something so i okay. imagine it's something passing like that but uh it's very clever 
but the one really cool thing is, is that what my, my husband looked up at the end of the show and he saw one of our old college buddies names scroll through the credits as a cinematographer. So oh, cool. yeah, yeah. That was really That's wild exciting. to, yeah. To see someone you actually know right. amongst all those names scrolling by. <laughs> so um, Dell, if you're listening, uh, rock on man. Great job. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. All right, very cool. And you get to watch it with your son, so that sounds, that sounds pretty cool. Yes, it's refreshing to watch that instead of Daniel Tiger or Bluey <laughs> for the 5,000th time. <laughs> All right, so I finally got around. I watched the pilot of Inventing Anna this week. And so I got the, I got the first one out. This is with Julia Garner from Ozark, and she's yeah. playing um, Anna Delvey. Did I get that right? She's playing the, the yeah. heiress. I don't I read a little bit about the story, but I kind of wanted to go in cold. And apparently this was an heiress or she pretends to be an heiress who ultimately dupes a lot of very powerful rich people out of a lot of money. And she's from what I gathered reading about her, she's still in prison today. And she's conducting a series of interviews with Anna Klumsky of Veep and My Girl fame um, as a journalist. And it just... So far, it's a really good show. Uh, Terry Kinney is in it as a, as another journalist. He was Julia Stiles' father in Save the Last Dance, which we covered. So good to good to see him. Mm-hmm. And he's also like just a, that guy who shows up in things, and he's he's really good for it. So I did uh, did enjoy the pilot, and I have no intention of stopping. So I'll keep with that. I know Danielle, you finished. Is that right? Yep, and I enjoyed it. All right, cool. So yeah, I'm definitely going to keep up with that. That's on Netflix. And in addition to that, I just, I picked up seeing Anna Klumsky in the show. I was like, I'm going to pick up my rewatch of Veep that I started three years ago and then stopped. Oh, all right. Yeah. So I picked, I watched all of season one and then I don't know, life happened. And I was just like, yeah, I'm done with this for now. But I, yeah, I watched the premiere of season two and I've watched every episode of the show, but it was like one of the best comedies ever. And I love this show so much. And all the characters just bounce off of each other. They're all memorable and. Yeah, just really funny show. Julia Louis-Dreyfus is just, I would stack this up against Elaine Bennis as her best role. Just flip a coin. Both of these roles are iconic comedic performances. And yes. Oh, Veep is one of my favorites. I love that show. It takes a while to get its momentum. Well, they had, I believe, season three, they switched showrunners. And that's when it went from like a very good show to an elite show. Mm -hmm. By the end, I was just tackling yeah by the end by the last season i was just cackling at every episode oh, because yeah. they made, at that point they made jonah ryan just so over the top and just, as a as a president he, he was like a staffer for the president he was like the guy who gets his like lunch and then at the end he's like this just this far right presidential candidate it was it was so it was so funny that they just it wasn't um they did make fun of like different tropes with politics, but it wasn't insulting. It was just kind of like, they just kind of like took jabs at everybody. It was really funny. I, I enjoyed Veep and I'm looking forward. Yeah. I'm definitely going to um, be a little more proactive with this, this rewatch. And yes, great, great comedy HBO. I mean, there's really, they have very few misses in their repertoire. And this was one of their biggest hits. Danielle, where someplace people can follow you. Uh, follow me on instagram it's danielle41515 all right jackie 
You can find me on Instagram at JackieLynn99.5 or come and chat it up with me in the Facebook group. Excellent. And same for me. Um, you can find me at DDEM2000. That's my handle for Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd, which I'm trying to, you know, I, I'm up to 60 followers now. So. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Moving up. I'm, I'm going viral. So. <laughs> got two. You got two. I, am, I, am I half? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's a great app. I'm trying, I'm having a lot of fun with it and I look forward to, I haven't watched any movies yet this week, so I look forward to uh, maybe checking one out and lo- logging some stuff in, getting some instant feedback and some conversation going with it. It's, yeah, it's, it's, if you're a movie fan, it's, it's an app you should get because it's a lot of fun. And those are the places you can find me um, if you want to talk about this movie or any other movie or show with myself, Jackie or Danielle. You can join the movie and television talk Facebook group that Jackie mentioned. Just type that into a group search on Facebook. We are the red cover photo. Jackie, what do we have going on the next two weeks? So next week on Was It That Bad? We're going to watch Fear. Little little Wahlberg action. I'm excited. Yep. Little Marky Mark there. <laughs> and on Dollar Theater the week after, we're watching Rounders. Nice, nice. I'm going to do a bad John Malkovich impression. I'm just warning you ahead of time. I did my bad walk-in tonight, so in two weeks, we'll do, <laughs> we'll do the bad Malkovich as well. Danielle, any thoughts on it. either of those? Fear is known to be a bad movie? It, it, it was a low IMDb when I looked. It's, yeah. had, it's, it's had some criticisms. I, I think it's pretty entertaining, though. I'm going to be on the pro side. I'm just, I'll give a little spoiler. Okay, um, yeah, I like I like fear. I mean, I remember seeing that as a teenager, and I loved it as a teen. You know, probably don't relate to it as much now, but, I mean, Mark Wahlberg looking through the door and saying, so let me in the fucking house is probably <laughs> such a cool scene, you know? Yeah. So, you know. I love that movie. All right, cool. Okay, good. Excellent. Well, Danielle, thank you so much for joining us tonight. It was great talking about this movie with you. I know how much you love it. Yes. All right. And Jackie, pleasure as always. Thanks, Dave. You and got thanks it. again, Danielle. Thank you. You got it. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We will catch you all next week. Night, everybody. <laughs>